Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, what is up, Gypsy Gang? We are back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast, slowly getting 2021 into the swing of things. Uh, my podcast today is with a jiu-jitsu black belt, uh, Ariel Tabak. He is a world-class competitor. I think Flow Grappling has him as the uh, number 12 ranked uh, jiu hero in his weight division. So uh, Ari is a guy that I uh, do a lot of study, uh, watch a lot of his match footage. I really like the style uh, that he brings to jiu-jitsu and his, I guess, main area of expertise is something that I have really been working on a lot lately. Uh, it's quite a jiu-jitsu specific podcast uh but towards the end of this one we really spend a lot of time uh diving into flexibility ari has incredible flexibility uh and it was something that he was not naturally gifted with uh when he started jiu-jitsu he couldn't even touch his toes so uh it was really cool to talk to him about the process uh, of getting that flexible uh obviously we sort of talked about it in relation to jiu-jitsu itself and how that it, it can help you gain um, but I think anybody um, interested in flexibility could get quite a lot out of this one. Ari's a great dude. He will be around the Goldie for a little bit, so I'm really hoping we get to do a little bit more training together. Uh, before we get into this episode, just got to give a shout out to our sponsors. Uh, firstly, the guys at Boost Mobile. Uh, we spent all of December uh, talking about their uh, their refurbished phones. I actually got one of those refurbished phones. I got the iPhone 11 Pro, and I basically just bought a brand new phone. Uh, they're obviously pre-owned. They're refurbished. They go through the full check. They've got the full 12-month warranty on them. Um, but yeah, essentially, I just bought a new phone. I unboxed it out of the Apple uh, box. Uh, everything looked exactly how it comes uh, when you buy them, except the screen protectors a tiny bit different. There wasn't a scratch on the thing. Works uh, perfectly. So refurbish.boost.com.au if you are in the market for a new phone. Uh, we're also brought to you by the guys at CMBT Nutrition. You'll see us training out of the uh, Combat Training Center here in Burley, but they've got a rad supplement line that keeps us all on the straight and narrow when it comes to recovering from these sessions. CMBT is the first sports nutrition brand and range of products developed for combat athletes, uh, and it is also developed 100% uh, by martial artists as well. 100% natural and derived from organic whole foods and plant-based ingredients. It's gluten and dairy-free. 
Hasta drug tested, ensuring products are safe for WADA tested athletes, which is hugely important these days. Used by some of the world's best mixed martial artists and kooks like me. Uh, you can head to cmbt.com.au and use the code Gypsy at checkout to give you 15% off. Uh, we're also brought to you by Dry Times, the world's best towel. Born and raised on the pristine beaches of the Gold Coast, Australia. Dry Times is the world's best towel. Inspired by good times, it, in pur- it is purpose-built to work hard and play even harder. Beach, gym, pool, travel, whatever your passion, Dry Times is all about creating incredible towers for every adventure. Join the movement and celebrate the journey with hashtag Dry Times. Head to drytimes.com and use the code GYPSYGANG for 15% off. Uh, We're also brought to you by the guys at macrokitchen.com. .au. These guys are a local burly business and they absolutely kill it. Uh, they do a meal delivery service. They've got the restaurant in Burley on uh, the Gold Coast Highway. Uh, and you can also do order in and then pick up. Uh, they're fresh. Uh, it's like fresh packaged meals that are never frozen. There's a huge variety. I absolutely love these things. They're so good uh, for when you want to just stay busy, stay on the run. I do love to cook, but sometimes it's just not on the cards for me. Uh, and that's where Macro Kitchen comes in. Macrokitchen.com.au, Gypsy Gang 10 for 10% off. Uh, we're also brought to you by the guys at Dixon. Uh, not just flannels. You can head to dixonquality.com.au, suss out all of their board shorts, work shorts, uh, just general casual gear. Um, yeah, so obviously in Australia, a bit too hot for flannels, but that doesn't mean uh, that Dixon does not have you covered. Uh, also, head to gypsytales.com to cop that merch. Uh, yeah. We don't have too much stuff left, actually. So if you want one of those Excite Tees, you better get in quick. Uh, And also, we've got our Glove Collab with Fist. They've dropped their Chapter 14, and it looks insane. So you can head to fisthandwear.com. I'm pretty sure Gypsy Gang is the code for that. Anyway, type in Gypsy something. Sam will give you something, surely. Uh, Thank you to everybody for listening. Really enjoyed this podcast with Ari. He is a super smart dude. Uh, We didn't have the full three hours, unfortunately, just with the way that times worked out. Um, But I'm sure I'll have Ari on again at some point. Thank you all for listening. Appreciate you all. So, Ari Tabak, that's how I say your last name Yes, properly. yes. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks this, for having me. This is a little bit of a treat. I've uh, been a big fan of yours since I first saw you training uh, with Lockie and then your style of jiu-jitsu. I was like, all right, that's a guy I can <laughs> really get behind. So, uh, to, to just see uh, you come up um and popped up in the goldie i was like we got to do the podcast so i'm stoked we can make it happen and stoked we got a roll in this morning as well yeah yeah that was awesome as well thanks for having me down for training as well yeah well i can't claim any of that (laughs) but i just rocked up and was uh was stoked to get a roll in and it was really cool to roll with hope as well yeah she is good she's very good i love getting to roll with high level female competitors Mm. because i think that uh that is where you really see how good jiu-jitsu is mm. and how good jiu-jitsu can be. Yeah. Because we're in a gym with mats and then there's all of this equipment all around 
where I would outperform her in every single thing. <laughs> yeah. But that metric does not apply yeah. in jiu-jitsu. And she can do, you know, crazy shit. Yeah. And I just think that that's such a really great indication of like what's capable by yeah. dedicating yourself to jiu-jitsu it really does show like the effectiveness of jiu-jitsu i've got so many friends that have told me stories of like when they first started training it's always that typical oh yeah on my first day i got smoked by this tiny girl you know and that's what kind of got me into jiu-jitsu <laughs> yeah it's it's super cool like Liv was like that Liv yeah. was the first when i did the camp with Lockie. yeah um Liv was the first like high level girl that i ever got to roll with yeah and i was just like jesus it's very eye-opening for yeah. sure yeah and i don't think yeah for a lot of a lot of guys if you're not exp- if you don't know that that's capable you know what i mean that yeah. can be something that can really throw you off <laughs> totally i think um female jiu-jitsu competitors have a real uh their body type lends itself not to strength but more flexibility as mm, well and yeah i think that you see that come into play like massively yeah yeah like obviously with the guards they play but also like how they how they position themselves like when they pass which is pretty cool as well you'll see like a lot of girls like in this crazy low squat to like stop the Della Heva hook yeah and stuff coming in. yeah it's, it's really cool to see that yeah so have you uh so you guys obviously do a lot of training together yeah so that, that that's a funny one and i'm sure like a lot of people that have a that do jiu-jitsu and have a partner that does jiu-jitsu will agree it's there's always this like funny dynamic um i've like noticed so many couples that just rarely actually roll and that's kind of the case with us but we kind of go through phases so yeah. we we'll go through a phase of of you know being able to train a lot with each other and then also phases where it's like you know w- neither of us really want to roll with each other it's just that that couples thing but it is actually quite wholesome to be able to you know train with your partner as well yeah, yeah. what what is that dynamic like have you thought um, about what that is and uh, where that comes from it's just that uh it's just really easy for one person to just get more frustrated at the other person yeah. you know just because they are your significant other yeah so that, that's usually just how it happens you know i remember uh hope was actually talking about this the other day how like if we're rolling and if i like accidentally hurt her she'll get really frustrated but if she's rolling with another guy and, and he does the exact same thing it won't even matter to her yeah it's just, it's just that that kind of dynamic yeah, yeah. It, it's true eh? like it does uh <laughs> and you always get like you're going too hard <laughs> yeah. it's just like well fuck like what are we doing here it's just a combat sport and then in reality i'm just like starfishing but <laughs> <laughs> um the i feel like it'd be really great uh not necessarily for like the physical rolling aspect Mm. but probably more so like just having a that outside perspective Mm. of like someone watching over your game like you would know her game so well and you would be able to help her and then on the competitive side as well is that probably like where the biggest advantage is yeah so what's really what's really cool with that is um like since we started dating um you know she's she's really taken on board uh my approach to jiu-jitsu yeah and it's in turn it's actually been somewhat beneficial to me in the sense that uh whatever questions and troubleshoots she's asking me for it's actually also you know stuff that is benefiting my game as well so let's say she's having issues with a guard retention scenario or a barambolo scenario because we're both playing that exact same game it then forces me to come up with a solution for that position and 
then I basically get to see like through her sparring if my troubleshoot was correct or not yeah so it's actually really beneficial to me as well as beneficial to her and they might not be scenarios that you find yourself in that often you know what's funny is like uh i will find myself in those scenarios and this is actually quite often the the case where i will find myself in a certain scenario and figure out a troubleshoot whether it's by watching tape or figuring out myself or learning it you know from someone else and then once I've troubleshot, once I've kind of fixed that issue, I will notice she will like, you know, depend, like however long it takes, maybe a few weeks, few few months, she will come up with that same issue and I'll show her it and then she will start to, you know, fix it up as well. Yeah. But then there's also been cases where there were issues that I wasn't necessarily coming across, but she was and was forcing me to think, you know, how to address that situation. Yeah but also being able to realize like if I'm going to let, let's say she again like a, a Barambolo troubleshoot if she's having issues with a particular position I could just say oh you know just pull this way you know ba- basically like a troubleshoot for me that would work yeah. which is like very physically yeah a lot more physically demanding so I have to kind of think oh if I'm actually not able to perform this movement because i'm not as strong yeah i need to figure out like a there's gonna be like a plan b or yeah yeah plan b like a a a much more like efficient and technical approach you know something that would work for a smaller person you know Mm. or or a female yeah yeah so it's really really beneficial for me in that sense as well yeah Yeah. the to for like a female to get a black belt it seems like there's there's so few in comparison to men and it's like especially in australia there's there's not as many i've noticed which yeah. is, which is a shame but it's kind of just yeah it's kind of just panned out like that yeah i yeah. mean it, it makes sense it's such a i mean if you look at the percentage of like if you had a chart of dropout rates mm. from in men like let's not even touch the female side mm. of it yet and you go intros to blue belt blue belt to purple belt yeah like you see the drop-off rate of men like a female black belt is essentially a unicorn Mm. yeah that's true like just and you think about that those dropout rates you know like it's Mm. it's crazy to think of what it actually what it takes for a male to get a black belt and then you just have to add all of these crazy extra factors for mm. a, for a female to go and do that. It's yeah. pretty insane. Yeah, it's definitely a lot harder for them, for sure. What yeah. What do you think makes? Um, what would you think like lends itself to, or it's like what What would you think would be the necessary kind of things to overcome for a female to get a black belt? You know what? Like, obviously, I can't. I can't really speak for 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 females in that regard because I, I haven't had to go through the the challenges and and you know all the the barriers and obstacles but I mean a huge thing is finding training partners that are females or just close to your size yeah. and even then if you get a a 60 kilo blue belt female training with a 60 kilo male yeah who's a blue belt it's you know the male is still stronger there's still that barrier and that yeah. strength uh, in terms of like your initial learning of a technique, if you're trying to, you know, let's say you're a trial class, you know, you're a guy trial class and you're, you know, 70 kilos and you're sparring with a white belt that's 100 kilos and your coach is trying to get you to do like close guard arm drag, it's going to be really hard yeah. because you're a lot smaller, 
a lot weaker but also you're you're not equipped with the skill to kind yeah. of overcome yeah. your opponent's size and strength and technique as well yeah so that's like what a lot of a lot of women obviously have to deal with with, with everybody yeah like with literally everyone. everybody yeah and and when there's not many other girls to roll with mm. but yeah so that's what i mean like it just it, in my like when i see how hard it is just even for a guy to rock up mm. and go to a gym every day like i can't imagine just how much harder it would be to just like constantly be at that disadvantage but i think then like all the female black belts that i've ever had to roll with like they're just insanely good yeah you know what i mean it's yeah. almost like that the the sword just has to be so sharp yeah it has like, to be to, for to the for that te- for the technique to work on a on a guy it has to be like really refined and on point yeah so that's yeah. what i mean it's just like full unicorn status yeah. like and yeah it's, it's for anyone that um yeah and i think it's a like i guess it's a shame that there's not more but then mm. i guess in the same way it's a shame that so many guys drop out too so yeah. it's just i guess it's just a sport with a pretty high dropout rate across the board yeah 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 of course yeah it is just yeah it's, it's just one of those sports i guess i guess most combat sports are like this yeah that's yeah. true eh? yeah. have you did you do any other combat sports before jiu-jitsu because so, you said today you started in high school right yeah so uh before i kind of got into the to like modern martial arts i was doing oh, i must have been seven at the time i started training taekwondo yeah and a huge part of that was because uh my dad back in south africa he trained uh Gojuru karate for about 15 years and i i was always really um really inspired by my dad you know he was like superman to me he was like super jack dude black belt in karate and uh, I wanted to be like that. So ever since I was a kid, I was always really into martial arts. And um, so at about 15, I kind of got, um, I kind of had a hiatus from uh, Taekwondo. And when I was looking to get back into martial arts, I wanted something a bit more like, a bit more real, I guess. And so I was going to start Muay Thai. And I remember going to this Muay Thai gym in Melbourne because I was doing my high school there at the time and the gym was shut so then my dad took me to this other gym um, and they happened to have an MMA curriculum there so I just started training in the the teens MMA class and obviously the guy was showing us takedowns he was showing us no gi jiu-jitsu a lot of striking so from there at that particular gym they they offered everything that boxing muay thai wrestling judo so i kind of just i just jumped in all of those classes and i remember close to close to six months or so of training my uh one of the jujitsu coaches was like oh hey you should you should try the the gi class and since then i just kind of you know migrated completely towards the gi and that's how my journey with jujitsu started which was like so I started like Nogi halfway through 2009 and then by 2010 I was in the gi. Yeah. Yeah. What was the what was the original draw to the gi where you're like, "Oh, okay, this is my thing." Oh, okay. So to put it bluntly, everyone that trained in the gi would smoke me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, they're doing something different for sure cuz they would smoke me in Nogi. <laughs> oh, so they'd beat you in Nogi yeah. because they trained the gi. Yeah, well I mean, obviously, it's very different now. 
now it's a matter of really specialized because the the games and the the meta yeah. of of the nogi game has changed so much it's so important to just if you want to be good at nogi you probably just want to stick to training nogi and i think there's so many guys that are a good example of that mm. same with if you want to be good in the gi but back then it was this like the gi and nogi was kind of awkwardly meshed together and nogi back then was like literally just gi jiu-jitsu but you couldn't make grips yeah now it's a completely different sport right um so in in that sense because of because of that it was like oh well if you trained in the gi you're gonna <clears throat> you're gonna sharpen your tools for for no gi as well mm. and and vice versa as well yeah with yeah. me i have only ever done both hmm. because i come into it only three years ago so it was pretty like the level of development is you know what i mean it was like pretty well there and it was like a monday wednesday friday was the gi and then tuesday thursday was no gi yeah and if you wanted to train every day like that's just what what you did yeah but uh you are like i'm finding more now that yeah you do really need to sort of stick to something mm. to, if if you want to like that has to be like your a focus you yeah know? because yeah they're just i feel like there's just so much stuff to learn and i think that i almost see like i probably was going like more nogi for a point and then just recently i'm just like no nah, i'm just i want to do the black belt gi like yeah. I, you know what i mean i just really want to get a legitimate black belt as a result of putting in time in mm. the gi and i don't really know exactly where that comes from but there is definitely like an appeal to mm. me in there somewhere i don't yeah. know exactly what it is but i mean even with competition stuff i was like man i'm way better no gi competitor but yeah something's changed in me recently where mm. i'm like pretty much all in on the gi yeah i mean it could be one of those things where like when you feel like you're deficient in an area especially with, mm. with jiu-jitsu it kind of draws you to want to improve in that area um yeah i mean i find you know as the years go by i definitely am more drawn to the nogi scene but i'm still like a hundred percent focused on the gi for for now but definitely at some point in the future i want i want to do like adcc trials and compete mm. in adcc but that being said it, it means that i have to become familiar with with like the meta game the leg which is the leg entanglement game in nogi yeah probably train with some of some top tier guys that specialize yeah. in well, i feel like you're in pretty good hands if you can get yeah yeah train i would say so yeah. yeah yeah definitely it's yeah it's it's um especially with lucky he's brought such a, a different approach to the leg entanglement game which i thought was really awesome mm. yeah as opposed to following the trend of of saddle yeah yeah, yeah it was um it was pretty cool to see like i think that I, I wish jiu-jitsu was a bit bigger in like the context of Australian sport mm. because what he did was special. Yeah, it really like, was. Like really special in just, not just in jiu-jitsu, but in the context of, of sport. And so one of my best friends is Toby Price. He's Australian, uh, the only guy to ever win the Dakar Rally, which wow. is like the biggest off-road race in the world. Yeah. And he, he, like for a long time, it just wasn't appreciated. And all of these guys that are in that sport like that's my main background mm. they just didn't get the appreciation but then Tobes come along and, and won that 
rally and then like ev- like all those athletes kind of got that appreciation yeah and it's like Lockie sort of did the same thing so but in just like such a sway smaller and it makes sense why mm. but man it'd be so cool to for just the public to go like man yeah. we got this guy because essentially like what Lockie is is like this nutty little professor <laughs> that is holed up in a padded room in Melbourne and is just like figuring out some crazy crazy shit yeah that is beating the rest of the world that are doing the same thing yeah. you know and i just think it's it's such a cool uh unique thing that is coming out of australia that you know yeah. just really no one even knows about yeah it is a shame like the the general public doesn't have that appreciation for not only that that feat that lucky performed but also for jiu-jitsu in itself and it's because it's still not like a, a mainstream sport yeah yeah it's funny to think that like you see how many people are in a class mm-hmm. every night and you, you know like our gym the um like i train out of a, a brazilian gym and there's four gyms mm-hmm. that are in under like this one thing it's just one guy and he's just started i think he started like 12 years ago or something yeah uh, you know fabio galeb yeah yeah, yeah so fabio yeah. and like just start and now there's like hundreds of students and you know like you come in as a white belt and you're like oh look he's already so established and then you're like figure out you're like man jiu-jitsu is still so small but it look when you're in in that environment like it looks like it it's looks, so big and yeah. so established and then you go to like absolute and you see how many people are going through that place every week and you're like man this sport's like getting bigger but yeah really it definitely is getting bigger but still like in the big grand yeah in the grand scheme of things yeah i think like i I wonder like do you think that obviously the ufc has popularized jiu-jitsu but do you think that jiu-jitsu will see more growth out of the ufc i feel like it's probably like topped out in terms of just general awareness yeah i mean i i that's i find that quite a hard question to answer i mean they are having a lot of grappling and nogi events on ufc fight pass yeah i mean that's potentially contributing to it but in terms of um people recognizing jiu-jitsu nowadays in the ufc i'm not a hundred percent sure like i mean I, i'm still i'm not a hundred percent up to date with what's going on in the ufc but from my understanding jiu-jitsu hasn't been you know the the dominant mm. martial art in jiu-jitsu back in like the earlier days you know i mean we still got guys like damian maya and stuff it's really cool to see guys like rodolfo vieira mm. uh he's in the ufc now i believe pretty yeah? sure he yeah, is, yeah 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 that that's that's amazing but um it's still like set like such like very few yeah. top tier ibjjf jiu-jitsu guys dude i wish ryan yeah. hall could get a good fight yeah i'm not sure exactly what the go is with that i just don't think people want to fight the dude yeah that's <laughs> like isn't that's kind of like a crazy yeah, yeah. ad for jiu-jitsu just like he's just such an out-of-the-box guy that yeah he'd be like a hard dude to figure out <laughs> totally but yeah he can't get a fight but he's a guy that could like showcase yeah you know some crazy jiu-jitsu totally i, I would i would love to see him in in yeah fight more in mixed martial arts yeah like i've watched um bruno melfacine was was gearing up for an mma career at some point yeah yeah i think he had a professional fight or something i think he won i'm not sure you gotta want it bad yeah like you look at andre gavel like that dude could have been an animal man like if he did i'm pretty sure he had a couple mma fights was it was it strike force that he had that fight on he had a few fights i know he did have a few but Mm. but yeah like he's probably gone 
dude, Athos would be making so much money. Like, would you just go like, ah, oh, fuck I mean, this. Like, I mean, I they know. seem like they're doing quite well. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if I need to go and fight people for a living. Yeah. But there's definitely some dudes that could, that, like, this new school, more ADCC style, mm. like, jiu-jitsu could be, like, super effective in the UFC, you think? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, what would be the best thing would to have a, would, if there was, like, a guy that was using the bowler and crab ride game yeah. in MMA. Just get, that's that would be, that would be hilarious, more so than amazing. Actually, it would be pretty amazing as well. But it this, would be gnarly. Because there's this like full-on stigma like, oh, the Varen bowler wouldn't work in a straight fight. I really want to see some guy just go in there and pull off a clean Varen bowler or even just like a really long crab ride chain <laughs> while the guy's trying to like throw a hammer fist. <laughs> yeah, that that would be a good ad for jiu-jitsu. That would be hilarious. The um, I think that the UFC fight pass stuff is cool with like mm. the grappling um, like events. Qu- quintet, uh, right? They put That's on UFC fight pass? Yeah, quintet's on fight pass and then um, Chael does submission underground mm. That and Craig's on those cards and he has like, I think John Jones has fought on that. Um, Chael obviously has fought on that. Um, but yeah, so he brings in a bunch of MMA dudes to fight like grappling guys. Mm. But um, yeah, I think like if you look at, there was obviously like that spike mm. when the you know UFC first started, and that's kind of like what springboarded jujitsu. Yeah. But it's like now it's people know mm. what jujitsu is. I think that uh, that converting to people joining jujitsu is probably like it's not in the spike phase anymore yeah. you'd say you know so it's like it'll be interesting to see what comes next that yeah, could totally. potentially do that mm. maybe they need to start bringing back gay mixed martial arts fights oh yeah <laughs> do, do like full, remember, like full, pride yeah 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 full street fighter stuff yeah. like <laughs> pick your character make everyone wear like chains and yeah. shit yeah <laughs> That's that sounds terrifying. Yeah, no. I'm but I'd I'd love to see like a worm guard combo. <laughs> yeah. Well, have you seen that stuff that Keenan's been doing with like the street clothes oh, jujitsu? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I That's mean so that, cool. that kind of makes sense. I'd yeah. actually be in in winter. That'd be kind of a fun class to do. <laughs> I feel like like using that was like using the guy's hood yeah hoods and shit oh, didn't he at one point you know like a lot of hoodies the that front pocket it's just oh, one pocket yeah, and i yeah, think yeah. he was like shooting his leg all the way through or something it's like mimicking the lapel over the shin <laughs> dude i actually had uh Smart. I, was, I was telling uh one of my coaches the i've like i've been doing jiu-jitsu a few years now mm. i've never really had the friend hit me up to be like okay let's roll <laughs> or like you know what i mean and i uh one of my buddies dean lucas he's a professional yeah. mountain bike like down to a mountain bike rider big dude real fit dude real strong guy and i got mats in my living room and he was staying at my house and then he's like i, I said i said like oh man jackson who you roll with today i was like fuck i gotta put the gear on tomorrow it was so hot and he's like what are you com- i've heard you complain about the gear a couple times now like what's <laughs> what why does it suck and i was like no it's awesome but it's just so hard to deal with like when it's hot and i'm mm. tired i'm like there's just a lot going on yeah and um he's like oh can i put it on a try and that was i was like fuck my jiu-jitsu better actually be yeah. good <laughs> you know what i mean because it was that scenario of like someone actually just a normal person that was yeah. fit and strong and athletic mm. like if you were to get into a situation that is what it would be mm. like and um it was actually pretty cool to see like technical good jiu-jitsu work mm. against somebody that didn't know 
what jiu-jitsu like anything about jiu-jitsu but hmm. was like a fit strong person and yeah. it was kind of actually cool to to see that yeah. i've never experienced that so far yeah it is really cool to see that and it and it does it does show that it that it works you know um i mean obviously i'm sure a lot of people i mean i have heard stories of guys like that train jiu-jitsu and haven't really been able to draw their difference between what you would and wouldn't use in like a mm. self-defense scenario yeah i have heard like a few stories i'm not sure if they're even true of like guys like getting their ears you know chewed and stuff <laughs> while they pulled clothes guard sounds nasty <laughs> yeah that's pretty hectic. yeah 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 but it was um yeah it was definitely like it was cool to see though that yeah it, you know the training actually makes yeah it, it makes it not not even it just more like the technical stuff like mm. you know I, I can't remember what i did like a, i think i did like a kiss of the dragon and then took his back and nice. that was like that's cool to see that because that's like a very technical move and i'm not yeah. saying that you'd ever want to do that in a street fight scenario <laughs> but in terms of maybe like, if you're good enough <laughs> yeah yeah depending, depending on how bad they were how drunk they were um yeah so when you when you started in the gi we was it like a you got obsessed with it straight away like because mm. i feel like anyone that reaches the level that you have in jiu-jitsu there's definitely like a weird level of obsession that goes with it and like when did that sort of kick in well in all honesty i, I felt that it kind of kicked in like immediately and that's what kind of kept making me want to come back you know every day um that and also having i think if you if you have a good coach from from day one that's that's also a huge contributing factor as well my coach in melbourne his name's daniel shaw he's actually not training anymore now uh, which is i always like think it's a real shame because i felt like as a coach he was so ahead of his time and so analytical um it would have been really interesting to see what what he would have been innovating now yeah but um i just remember at the time so i was 16 white belt and i remember he was you know showing us amazing fundamental jujitsu but then i'd also see him helping out some of the higher belts like the just the you know blues and purples and i remember him showing like lasso guards inverting and stuff and just seeing that was enough to like you know draw me even more into jiu-jitsu and then obviously he started showing barambolo and he it was like one of the few guys in australia at the time that was actually you know aware of the barambolo that's crazy to think yeah of. yeah and so I, I remember just i remember actually being taught how to barambolo by him and Lachlan at the time. Lachlan was a Bramble. Really? Yeah, yeah. So you've known Lockie that long? Yeah, I've known Lockie and Liv for yeah, a while now. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, a solid decade or so. Yeah. Yeah, which is it's it's really cool that we that you know, we're still training together and Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so you like how much did you were you training like did you did you jitsu pretty much like take over completely or well so it was at the start it was just i felt like i was basically just being held away from jujitsu by my parents initially because i was still in high school yeah. and they really wanted me to focus on i know for for sydney it's hse and melbourne it was vc you know final years of schooling yeah so they didn't want me training more than once a week so i remember which isn't enough yeah yeah which you know 
were definitely wasn't enough but the effect that had on me was it just made me want to train even more mm. so i just remember all throughout high school i was just building up all this you know this immense desire to to you know do more jujitsu and i actually remember in my high school we had this uh we had a high school gym and i found out that we had mats so i would set the gyms up sorry i'd set the mat up in the gym space and on the lunch break i would like try and roll with people and there happened to be this one guy uh in the year below me i think that uh was a judo black belt so i was like sweet oh wow. i've got training covered <laughs> that's it so i like whenever he was he was keen i would just like roll with him we would just roll nogi we weren't gonna chuck on our geese in the middle of of, yeah, of lunch yeah. at school um yeah so high school was like once twice a week uh, then once I started uni, I had a bit more freedom and I started to up the amount of training. And then before I knew it, I was training six days a week and here we are now. <laughs> That's crazy. So what yeah. did you do at uni? Uh, so, so you're physio, right? Studied physiotherapy, yeah. Yeah. And so did you decide pretty early on that jiu-jitsu was just all you were going to do? And like what, yeah. what kind of like led to that? Do you, do you, can you like kind of trace back what it even was for you that like made that stick because to be a young kid and you know in high school with all the other shit that's going on to like be dedicated to a martial art especially self-dedicated because you see a lot of kids nowadays that are chasing the jiu-jitsu scene and like trying to be good you know the next whoever in jiu-jitsu like the parents are as almost as dedicated as the yeah. kids i think that's really cool as well it is cool yeah but for you to go through and have to be like self-motivated and self-reliant at such a young age like that i feel like that's not a very common thing um to be honest i, I can't really pinpoint exactly what it was i just i just fell in love with jujitsu um and i just you know the more i did it the the more i wanted to continue doing it mm. um i just felt like i couldn't get enough of it yeah yeah and like in the sense of because I think there's a couple things, like, at least for for me, the fact that it feels, like, bottomless. Mm. Like yeah, it, just, does, it does feel like this endless rabbit hole, you know, and, you know, you keep delving into it and then you find out there's other things you can delve into and it's just, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's something, I think, that's in that. And then there's also just something where it just feels like it's so hard mm. to do. And I think that any time, like, if, if certain people come up against, like, that level of resistance, there's, like, a pushback that happens. So as hard as the thing is, some people push back equally as hard. Mm. And I think that that pushback is in the form of, like, training and studying and learning. And so, yeah, I think there's, like, a couple of factors mm. because, you know, the people that the people that do go on to get, I guess not everybody, um, but the people that do go on to get like black belts and especially that compete as a black belt, I feel like there's a very similar sentiment of just like wanting to learn and wanting to just like overcome this mm. hard thing, even though you're on such a high level and it's like to you, what's hard is like almost unfathomable to a normal person that's doing jujitsu, but it still feels hard. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I guess, I mean, I definitely think you know anytime i i come across like a, a scenario in jiu-jitsu where that is difficult 
um, or just at the time, like impossible for me to, to overcome it. It makes me want to figure out how I can Mm. address that. And also just simply the fact that if I come across, you know, if I come across someone that hits a, a move on me, it's like, oh, that's really awesome. And I'm completely intrigued in that particular move. So that, that's one side of it. And then obviously the other side is, oh, now how do I fix it? How yeah. do I make sure that I don't get messed up by this move next time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. How, what was your like, um, approach to training and learning and progressing? Because I feel like we sort of spoke about at the gym today that essentially like, yeah, your life's dedicated to jujitsu, mm. but it's not dedicated to jujitsu as much as it's dedicated to learning and improvement and like this uh constant gain whether it's very small or like a big gain and i think that that's more the thing that you're committed to Mm. like that's the underlying thing and so what was your i guess approach to learning like that how did you Mm. you know because I think a, a, for someone to get to a high level, they, they have to take learning into their own hands as well. Like you've, Obviously, you've got to have great coaches and mm. great training partners, but something you've got to think about and think of. You don't just go for your hour and then leave and then it's not on your mind. Yeah, so it's like whenever, so whenever you, like that hour, you're in the hands of your coaches and your training partners. Mm. But for the next 23, if you there's some guys they don't think about jiu-jitsu that much when they leave. But then there's other guys where they'll think about it for the 23. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, they'll dream so about true. it. And, and, you, and you really see who does that and who doesn't do that, which is really cool. Um, yeah, so in terms of in terms of learning, um, I think it's like it's such a it's such a big process. It's not just a matter of just being shown a technique. Obviously that's also very essential. Um, but I think I I, kind of break it up and I guess this is like my background in uni coming in yeah I kind of break it down into into small chunks and uh, initially it's like I see a I'm taught a particular technique or I see a particular technique online and the very first thing I need to do is very basic drilling just for that initial skill acquisition and once it's familiar, my body and my mind is familiar with it enough, then it's time to apply it into specific training and sparring. And with this, that this is where I start to like really figure out the mechanics of the movement and what actually makes it work. And then from that, I can start to like figure out the main mechanics of the movement. And usually, depending on the move, I can... I try to like make up or come up with a concept mm. and you, I, I can't, I don't do this with every move, like every kind of, uh, like style or, of guard that I use, but I try to do that with a lot of movements. And that's something that I particularly picked up from, uh, Levi. Yeah. And that was kind of his school of thought. And I noticed he got that from Marillo. Marillo would always have like, depending on, on the technique he would have like a real basic concept and and so what would be an example of a concept um it's like a rule yeah yeah so something like um let's see 
when you're looking to take someone's back off the barambolo, you want to make sure that you lift their hips off the mat, you stack their hips up yeah. so that you can expose their back more. So that would be a concept. It's like a broad yeah. thing. And yeah. then underneath that is like a multitude of ways yeah. to achieve that thing. Yeah. And I mean, there's, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's better ways of like, of like classifying all these concepts and principles and stuff, but there's so many like mini principles within, mm. within say the Berenbolo, like you have to first get the guy's hips to the mat or you have to cover his knee line, stuff like this, you know, or you have to control like both the near side and the far side of the body, stuff like this, you know, these are all uh, rules and concepts as well within that. That one. Yeah. 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 So oh, that's like one of the, the big things that I, I love about jujitsu is, is like how common you, you come across these, these things. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, you seem like from watching you today and then rolling with you today, you are one of the like technician style players it's and that's another kind of cool thing with jiu-jitsu as well is that there's guys that can reach such a high level but they're not necessarily like technicians i guess mm. maybe everyone has to be a technician yeah, to at extent. a certain level yeah. but there's guys where it's just like a, a grind like mm. they're just athletically gonna yeah. outwork you and whatever I think every gym's got them too, you know, like guys totally. that just come in and it's, they're not gonna, they're not gonna care so much about these concepts as much mm. as like, oh, their concept is if I, I'm partial guard and then submit, from there, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But like, so you're, you're obviously one of the people that is in love with like that technical side of it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, yeah, what, what like drew me to jujitsu and, and kept me mm. doing jujitsu was, was that. That particular side of it and so are you like with the way that you learn are you like note-taking and and like are you going into that level of detail with it or is a yeah. lot of it like mental so i've i've messed around and experimented with a lot of different approaches so i've um i've done mind maps i've handwritten notes i've written them on my phone um what I'm really into now is filming all my sparring sessions. Mm. That's something that I've just started. It's like a habit now of mine since the the COVID lockdown. I've just been filming all my sparring, and uh, obviously, like I don't do it at every gym I go to. I don't want to just you know rock up to it. Yeah, yeah. Like if I rocked up today to the gym and just had my tripod and camera, people would be like, "What's going on?" Yeah, here? yeah. <laughs> but um, that I find has been really helpful because there's a lot of things that. Yeah, that happened in a role that obviously you can recall um but what your perspective of what's happening from like you know your first person perspective of what's happening in a role is very different to what the camera will show from a third person perspective yeah and you get to you get to see what your opponent is actually well sorry your training partner or opponent if it's competition is doing to you as well as what you're actually doing yeah yeah have you have you seen like big improvements from that yeah huge improvements yeah yeah i think it's i I think a lot of people should be should be doing that man i totally agree it's something that i've from when i was in america um i lived in america filming um with a bunch of like the motocross and supercross teams Mm. and man like i got super into the nfl when i lived there yeah 
And so I started just watching all the documentaries on like the coaches because I've always just loved coaching and training and the way that people get better at shit. And this was even before I started doing jiu-jitsu. It just sort of turned out jiu-jitsu is like, it's probably the perfect first person avenue for that interest, you know. But I just would see these like professional teams, these motocross teams that were just like, they're the pinnacle of the sport mm. and that no one was filming and no one was like reviewing tape and footage and then in like the NFL world and all of these other big sort of sports it's just tape 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 everyone is constantly reviewing tape and it just wasn't a thing in motocross like and I was a filmer so mm. I was filming all of these guys but the guys would never hit me up and be like hey can you send me my motos so that I could watch back the footage and feel like maybe these days it's getting like a little bit more commonplace but yeah i always thought that the way to improve was to see what you were doing because Mm -hmm. there's like the this old saying in golf is feel isn't real and i think that that applies to everything (laughs) that you're doing like you think you're doing one thing like you are feeling one thing yeah but that feeling isn't what is actually happening in mm. almost every scenario yeah i mean that that was actually one thing i was going to touch on was the feel like how you know if someone's passing your guard or like stopping you from shooting a triangle or omoplata you need to be able to associate that feel with what you've recorded so mm. you can see exactly what's yeah. kind of gone wrong yeah and then you also need to be able to like in those scenarios where you do hit say that triangle or omoplata you need to be able to associate that feel also with what's being shown on film yeah i think stuff like that is also really important because jiu-jitsu is definitely a sport where there's a lot of feel and intuition yeah um and it's it's good and bad you know it's it's really important to be able to develop like your like your guard or your passing based on feel but you also need to be able to understand exactly what you're doing as well, like why you're switching sides, you know, yeah. or why you're going for a knee cut instead of a, a stack pass or something like that. Yeah. You know, and I think that's where the filming comes in and the breaking down yeah. and analyzing your, your, your training footage. Yeah. The, yeah. the, um, it's funny. The, the only real footage I've got is just comp footage. Mm. And it's funny. I would watch back, especially after, um, nationals or whatever the last one was um, and then I was was watching and I would just, I literally was doing I got like a few triangle wins and I was watching them and I did like move for move the exact same thing yeah like literally every single grip like the exact same setup everything but I, when my buddy we, so we didn't watch it we went back to his house after and he was like oh show me what you're doing with those triangles I didn't even know yeah like I couldn't I was like thinking and I was like wait did do I do that there <laughs> and then so we went back and watched like the the footage yeah and every single one was exactly the same what was the but setup I, was it like spider collar sleeve uh, it was I went for like a collar sleeve and then um, I always shoot like a del like a pull guard go to like a Della Heva and then be like real aggressive with it and a lot of times people will just like go down to their knees and then I'll go to close guard oh, and then I'll okay. do like a um, see I don't even fully know <laughs> so then I'll put like a lasso over and then I'll just like free this leg and then that's the one that I'll shoot over oh, and try awesome. so it just like it just seems to work but the way that 
like then to grip and then to get the angle and then underhook the, all of that stuff is just the exact same but I couldn't even I couldn't tell him and like until you actually watched until it, I yeah. watched it but yeah. in the footage you do everything the same yeah so like it is a crazy awesome. asset but there's a I guess there's a weird culture thing in jiu-jitsu where like that would actually be frowned upon like i don't think that you could just go yeah into a gym and and do that yeah. which i think is like limiting yeah unfortunately i mean i there, there is like the other side uh, it's like if you're if you had like a really high level gym bunch of high level athletes and competition was around the corner yeah and then you had some guy that was from an, another team and you know maybe the guys are in the same division yeah and then he's filming his roles with them. That could I can understand where that yeah. would kind of you know cross the line, but I mean, if you're in a scenario where you're you've been at a gym for a while, you know everyone there, you're you're part of the team, then I, I'm sure like it, it should be fine. But mm. it, again, it just depends on the coach and you know what what he's like, what kind of uh, environment he wants for 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 his gym. Yeah. Yeah. What were some of the biggest things you learned from filming, like? Um, let's see. Um, was there any stuff that really stuck out? Like not, I guess, yeah. you know, small technical things, but there, were there any moments where you're like, damn, I just didn't know that that was happening. I think, uh, particularly with a lot of my guard passing, I was, I was noticing like a, a few things. Um, to be honest, it, it's, it's hard to pinpoint exactly because there was just so many things I, I came across while I was, you know, analyzing my yeah. filming footage. Um, like even little things as well, like my posture when I was passing or yeah. when, I was, when I was, even my posture when I was playing guard, if I was like too extended or... Man, posture is a crazy one because that's definitely something that you can't feel because you're in that posture. Like that's like a very neutral position. Mm. Like we're in, like you can't see your posture, whether you're standing or sitting and yeah for motocross that's a big thing yeah is like the your actual posture like your head position over the handlebars mm. like you want your head to be like quite forward and like in line with the handlebars that right. you're holding yeah and you can when you're riding i'm like i'm way over the front like i'm exaggerating <laughs> and then you look back at the footage so i think yeah posture is probably to refer it back to like a moto sort of thing yeah that, that, that was yeah yeah I mean, it's it's a great way again of identifying like why your opponent, why why your training partner can make a certain move work, or why you can't make a certain move work on your training partner, or again like why certain moves do work mm-hmm. as well. You can you kind of look at, let's say like a, I don't know, let's say I film a training session, uh, we do seven eight minute rounds, and I notice in five of those rounds i'm able to hit the exact same crab ride entry or the exact same omoplata entry i look at all those entries and i try and find like the common common things that are happening in each Mm. of those scenarios and from that i can kind of draw like a conclusion like uh, every time i'm getting this omoplata it's because his elbow is away from his knee or he's he's worried about me getting the delaheva hooks just just things like this Mm. yeah yeah that's uh i've got this thing that i'm gonna do in probably i think maybe april where just because of like with the injuries and stuff this year i pretty much just couldn't train yeah so i saw this purple belt from the uk he's like kind of an older dude and he did 52 jujitsu classes in a month 
and uh, so it's like a year's worth of like once a week training. Yeah. So I'm going to do that in uh, for the podcast, and I'm I'll, my main reason, honestly, is to film a lot of it. So I'm going to film it, and put it out on on our YouTube channel. Oh, awesome! And um, and guard retention is like I'm. That's I was talking a, to Lockie about it. That's at the top it. of the list. That well, that's what I'm just. That's all I'm going to do is nice. like that'll be my main focus is just doing that curriculum mm. for for a month. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's like one of my main reasons I want to do it is because it'll like make me film because I'll have to um, film see, it for the YouTube channel. Yeah, see where you're going right and where you're going wrong. Yeah, and just having that like to, yeah, to analyze. I just feel like it's so, like you do that one class, like let's say it's a class or a session or whatever. You can re-watch that session because I mean, there's times like um, I was trying to recall a role yesterday. I'm like, I don't remember how I got to the back there. Mm. Like, I, I kind of don't even actually remember yeah. what went on, and it's like that is very useful yeah. in the big picture it to is know very crucial. exactly how you got to the back or, yeah. or how somebody passed you. Like, I I got passed by. Um, hope the same way twice today. Yeah, and it'd be really cool to go to back go back and, and see figure it. out exactly. Yeah, so you know, it just feels like it makes your training session live mm. forever. Because once you can watch that thing, mm. you always remember. You always can remember it when the when the visuals there. Yeah, and like you said, associating that feel. Mm. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like I guess you could looking at the example of of you getting past. You could. It, it's it's good to have that to recall the feel but it's there's other things that it, that's going on and that's why the video is so important yeah and so if you have that that video footage you're able to think oh no i need to make sure that my top knee is is you know pulled tightly towards my shoulder i'm able to swim my bottom leg back to the shoulder or bicep just things like this yeah yeah so the the guard retention dvd that you guys put out obviously it's awesome mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a few dvds into that now thank you um but that's a topic that doesn't seem to have got too much love in like the DVD, like instructional sort of world. It feels like everyone moves more towards like the sexier stuff. Yeah, like the submissions and yeah. stuff. Yeah. So was it cool for you to work on a project in a really new sort of lane with Lockie? And because I feel like that that probably has exposed you to like a, a lot of people in the jiu-jitsu community that probably wasn't. Uh, exposed yeah. you before yeah yeah I mean it's a you know I I'm extremely grateful that I actually got this opportunity to you know put myself out there and uh, basically through through the help of Lockie um, uh, sorry I'm just kind of forgetting what, what the question was I probably didn't even really ask you about <laughs> <laughs> but like I so mean I, d- I definitely didn't have that that same level of exposure as i do now i still don't have much exposure but it's a lot more yeah. in comparison to what it was before um but yeah it's it's been it's it's um it's been really cool uh i mean borders are shut and stuff but uh i definitely have um <laughs> some more spots that are open to having me down to train since releasing the instructional yeah. which i'm yeah i'm you know very grateful for that and so the guard retention side of it Mm. is probably something that is maybe like would you say that's maybe like an overlooked part of jiu-jitsu for most people like most people aren't really worried about that they want to learn other stuff first yeah i definitely think guard retention is it's one of those things people kind of push to the side as oh it's just 
it's just you know feel and intuition and flexibility mm. um and it's not something that has been broken down and and you know systemized really um so yeah it's definitely something that is overlooked and you you really see that it's overlooked it really shows in in a lot of people's games yeah yeah and yeah and so my um it's been something that i've always been like very interested in for i guess like an efficiency standpoint of training because like i got a full-time job with the podcast and i'm 32 so it's not like training's easy for me these days and like not starting it for that long and when it like the time where you get the most exhausted is when you're in side control or mount or you know what I mean so like for me I started thinking about it strictly from an efficiency standpoint I'm like I really need to just not get my guard pass because then I'm not gonna get as tired and I think that it's such a like I definitely think it's like an overlooked thing as well and then any time that you do have people that you know they've got really hard guards to pass in the gym it just seems like they're doing it a lot easier Mm. I mean that, that, that's a very good point i i really do feel like you will get a lot more out of your session if you're not just spending it under side control or back control or, or mount obviously don't get me wrong it's important to be able to to fight out of those positions and to defend and to escape but i mean let's be honest here everyone enjoys jujitsu when they're you know able to attack <laughs> yeah yeah not just getting pumped yeah 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 i mean i i do find it's very satisfying retaining your guard especially from like a really deep pass mm. that's something it's i get this weird kick out of just this demoralizing well it's not even demoralizing it's just like kind of proving to myself that i can i don't even know it's not invincibility is there isn't the right word because you're definitely not invincible just because you can't get your guard pass but it's like it feels really cool to be able to just you know recover yeah. and stop like a, a chain of aggressive passes from like a much bigger training partner or opponent yeah well i think yeah. it's demoralizing for them <laughs> and then you can i think you can see people's like like attitude change if they can't pass your guard like you can really see like a deflation that that have especially like you said if something's real if something is really deep yeah well i mean the the way i see it is at some point say if if you have a match where someone can't pass your guard eventually at some point one of your attacks is going to Mm. to work so that's kind of where where i come from in terms of the approach of guard retention and so was the was guard retention like you talked about the way that you broke down concepts with the barambolo is this something that so you've been working on this as like a detailed conceptual deal for a long time and then it's sort of just now you've got the opportunity to put it into this dvd format with Lockie. yeah i mean it's been a it's it's really been a ongoing project for me since i started jujitsu um and i think one thing that really kind of started me down that route was um when i started inverting and sparring i Mm. remember ages ago seeing this like really old video i think i was 16 at the time i saw this really old video of this guy uh getting like two sleeve grips from lasso guard and inverting all the way through to like triangles and all platters and stuff and that alone just kind of like propelled me down the inverting 
guard play rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And I think that also really contributed to my guard retention. And so obviously throughout the years, I, I was like developing it through that, getting more flexible as well. And obviously like a huge part of it was being exposed to, to like, you know, the really superior high level guards such as Levi's or the Meow Brothers. Yeah. That was also really game changing for me as well. So when did you yeah. did you go to the US to train with those guys? Yeah, yeah. So I went to the US first to train at Unity in twenty sixteen. Yeah. And um So what were you then? Were you uh I was Purple Belt. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, first trained with them early twenty sixteen. Uh I was actually recommended to go there by by Levi. He said it's like it's the such tough training and it, and it's just it's just simply the best. And he was right. I, I really felt like I got so much out of that that first training trip. Yeah, right. Yeah. So what yeah, what is that experience like of going to a place that is just essentially just like turning out these champions and what what is it that you think makes like makes you grow from those experiences? I mean, I find it so hard to pinpoint exactly what it is. Um, but the the overall, to answer your first question, the overall experience is, is hands down amazing. And for me, it was life-changing because it was what really consolidated me wanting to, to pursue jiu-jitsu as a, mm. as a lifelong career. Um, before that, it was like, it was a thought and it was a desire. But then after after that trip, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm sold. I'm definitely doing this. Um, in terms of, in terms of what kind of, I would say like the combination of, of the training, the high level training, the coaching and the instruction by, by Marillo was, was hands down what, you know, got, got all those guys to that point. Yeah. I think. Yeah, for sure. And is there like a you watch videos from were you in the old gym like the real small one and then yeah, everyone I, had to go in the showers yeah and... yeah that that's that i mean so I, I the the first two trips i did was 2016 and 2017 um and that was that was at the the first unity gym and so the the first time we went um the first time i went it was there was this rule uh we were allowed to in between rounds um open the the door and just kind of chill out in the stairway because um and this will also explain why people are jumping in the showers uh the gym is like it's so hot and humid and closed off in such a small space with all these people sweating and exerting themselves it literally is like almost the equivalent of I wouldn't say a sauna but like a steam room like the air yeah. is is really thick, thick yeah and so i'm sure people can relate when they've you know if you've gone to like a an open mat in summer and it's really hot and you know it's stuffy and you and people get tired easily and stuff you take that kind of sensation and you you multiply it by like 50 and that's that's what it feels like at, at the old unity gym and um and then you're obviously you're not just flow rolling there you're going at a hundred percent intensity in the world. yeah yeah and they're they're making you work you can't you you're just physically you're not able to just like hold someone in a position yeah there, there's no one there that that you know 
it's it's going to be really hard to find someone at that gym that you can just you know smoke really easily and hold inside control for the whole round mm. <laughs> so what yeah. what was it like to go there as a purple belt like was that super intimidating oh it, it was and it was it was awesome as well um I, it, there was I, I just remember being so excited for for that whole experience yeah dude that's yeah, gotta be that was amazing yeah it's gotta yeah. be crazy to i feel like to to be around like i'm not sure if it was a big jump from the intensity and like just the overall like yeah i guess intensity is probably the word like the intensity meter would have just been at 100 this yeah. would be like the new benchmark of like what you could call as 100 percent. well it's a funny one because everyone in australia obviously rolls hard as well except i found it was like the the way people would move over there especially as a result of how technical they were they were just able to move from position to position so quickly and effectively it just made the role so much more tiring Mm. you'll find i'm sure you'll notice like in australia there's you know people are uh most people you roll with are a lot more static so you're not going to get as tired out potentially they're still going a hundred percent but it's just particularly that style and and how they're using their bodies you know well there's probably like a processing time that where Mm. like whenever people are static here Mm. it's just i'd probably reps and like being used to that intensity Mm. and then that's just processing that that has taken place but those guys they've just developed that style over so long where that they like the processing time has just been cut down so it's like they're just going bang 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 it's like when you watch (laughs) holy shit security alert (laughs) security alarm um yeah i was watching uh have you ever heard of magnus carlson yeah the chess player yeah so i was watching him uh he played he was playing this chess match with bill gates and it was like a two minute uh like a two minute chess game yeah and so obviously like bill gates is he's be a smart motherfucker yeah yeah you would expect yeah Yeah. you would expect him to be good at chess and i feel like he plays quite a lot of chess as well yeah but he uh they're in the two minute game so they've like got to clock their time you know like Mm. each of them only gets two minutes and man magnus was just like like bill gates and make a move and then magnus straight away just (laughs) no matter what uh move gates made it was just a bang 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 and then you'd see this processing time from, from Gates yeah and he's sitting there like he couldn't analyze the <laughs> movements at the same time and <laughs> I kind of would imagine that that's what when you get into like the super high level mm. of jiu-jitsu that's pretty much just what's happening yeah and those guys at Unity or any of those big gyms where it's just a complete occupation mm. and the top dudes at the top of the sport they're all together in these groups that's probably what is going on mm. is that they're just like bang bang it's just yeah. this chess where they're just speed playing yeah you know what I mean like the movements and the, and the processing time has just been cut down because of 
I guess the computation that they're doing upstairs so that comes through reps, you know. I, I totally agree. It's 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 most likely that that's the case, and I think that's what results in that higher intensity that you'll feel. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the thing, like uh, with jujitsu. So, like we were talking about at the gym, my strategy for my analogy for the way that I look at jujitsu is. Uh, in the normal way that you get taught is you go to class and then it's like okay this is a half guard sweep this is a top choke this is and you're sort of it's like a dark room because you don't know all of jiu-jitsu so you're in like this dark room Mm. and then what happens is the way that it gets taught is like led signs so it's like you learn this technique and it's like a little led kind of sign so you can see that one very clearly yeah and then you can see a little bit of the glow around that sign where it might be like half guard sweep way to sweep and you can just see the edge of the way to sweep but you don't know what it is yet and then you might learn something that's over here and over here so like over time if that's the way that you want to learn then you're just lighting up more of these signs in the room Mm. until eventually it's like illuminated yeah whereas i kind of and i think i think about this with everything i'm like all right i just want to sit in the middle of the room and light a little fire on the floor (laughs) and then just like slowly try and add to the fire so that everything just makes sense at the same time yeah and not obviously like you know you can't help but learn things more um like quickly and say like oh i play like a lapel or a lasso mm. or a delaheva and then you can kind of learn more around there but mm. i always thought that it would make more sense to just light a candle in the room and then build and try and make it a flame until you can see mm. everything that is written on the room as yeah. opposed to i like that I yeah like that and approach. i think that that and i, I just the same with um I think that it's the same with everything that I try and do, like even with the podcast. And so I'm like, I just want to read about every audio setting, every video setting, every camera, every, you know, YouTube algorithms. I just want to, and so much of it goes over your head at the start. Mm. And I think that's probably the um, counterpoint to that method would be like, well, so you're, you're wasting time Mm. on stuff that you don't, you won't use. But it's like you sort of just don't know when that piece yeah. of information will come in handy or when it links and how it can link. Mm. So I feel like, yeah, I don't know. That's always been my approach to kind of learning things. And I think that, um, yeah, that's sort of how I try and think about any new thing that I'm taking on. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm remembering this conversation at the gym and it's, I think it's actually, it's quite good because like I was saying at the gym at some point when you do come across something that you've you know briefly touched on in the past there will be that familiarity there yeah and it potentially makes that initial learning curve a bit easier yeah yeah I think um yeah I think it's just like makes it easier to I don't know it's like it's easier just to dive into when you've got prior knowledge of something you know what I mean like Mm. feel like knowing a little bit about everything makes it easier to sort of slowly like work on the picture I'm not Mm. I don't know it's hard no I I totally get that yeah especially with jujitsu I think that's that's important I mean I guess some people would argue it's like sometimes it's it's bad because you potentially have like a bit of bias towards one particular approach Mm. to jujitsu at the end of the day though I think the more knowledge the better yeah yeah I think it's bad in the sense that there's like a lag time Mm. 
and I think that you can I think at like a few years in that approach can pay off mm. or like a two you know a year two years in I think initially it probably doesn't make sense yeah because you're like oh you know there's so much to learn there's this and that but like after a while I think there's like a lagging effect but then once it catches up I yeah. think then it can like really pay dividends yeah I think yeah that's I think it's so cool how, how that works I remember especially you know as a as a white belt before I was even training in the gi I remember just jumping on YouTube and I'm not sure if you remember this YouTube channel Submissions 101 nah ah uh, that was like you know 10 years ago that was like one of the the more popular uh youtube channels for for jiu-jitsu and the guy would just i thought it was amazing at the time but then i remember looking back on it now and it was like this guy just showing these like really loosely applied submissions like from guard or from side control or from mount or, or from the back um but at the time i actually remember finding them really beneficial even though a lot of those moves weren't moves that i was actually using at the time or intending to use at the time mm. yeah 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 it was just giving you more of like that blanket yeah. sort, of, sort of knowledge yeah um when so when did you was levi like a training partner of you yours in australia before he moved over there full time or yeah so in uh it was like halfway through 2015 i actually um so i i met him early 2015 and about halfway through 2015 I um I left the gym that I was at to go train train with him at the gym he was at and uh that was that was like really good decision for me it was, it was very very game changing for me yeah and how old was he like are you guys similar in age or he'd be younger uh, than he's you? so I think he's three years younger than me yeah yeah so I'm 26 he's 23 I think yeah, yeah. okay yeah. And that was like a big leap forward because yeah. you guys are like the same sort of size and style, right? I mean, quite. I I would, I would say similar size. Sorry, similar similar style, but size. I think he's he's a a bit beefier. We're yeah, like the okay. same height. Yeah, it's, it's always funny. We look like the same height, in the same size in the gi, but he's uh he's quite he's quite a he's quite a big boy. <laughs> yeah. So, but when you first started training, you probably would have been bigger than him if yeah. you were older, right? Yeah, yeah. I was like a little bit bigger than him. It was this funny. I was like the yeah slightly bigger, more stronger dude, and he was like the skinny, mm. really technical dude. But he would still smoke me even back then. Really. Actually, training with him was what really opened my eyes to like you know being a lot more technical i thought i was technical at the time but i clearly was not yeah you know, okay i remember his guard was always really hard to pass he had a really nice barambolo and it really made me uh appreciate having a good guard in jiu-jitsu mm. you know um and especially just just his uh his approach to training as well um prior to training with him i would drill but i would never drill i would never do like you know long drilling sessions like what he would do um and that was a a really cool eye opener for me as well what so what yeah. was like a drilling session for him like what was his standard of uh he would do like uh one hour drilling sessions I'm, I'm pretty sure from memory and it was just like the it's the it's the standard like competition drilling format five minutes one person five minutes the other person maybe a five or ten second changeover and uh depending on you know depending on what each person was working or depending if there was like a competition coming up it would either be you know just drilling one technique over and over again or 
you kind of chunked it into like uh, positions. So an yeah. example would be like when you're, if you want to work passing, you just do a bunch of passes from De La Hiva. Or if you're playing guard, you just do a bunch of sweeps from De La Hiva. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you hadn't really done that like that intensity before no no i hadn't done like i mean drilling drilling was never like this it was never that physically strenuous depending i mean if you did high intensity drills that that's a different thing but um i had never used that methodology that consistently and as long like if i did drilling sessions there would be 20 or 30 minute drilling sessions prior mm, to, to train to like him yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, with, with a guy like Levi, who's like, he'd be a pretty much a phenom, like freak yeah, kind of dude. Totally. What do you think is going on there? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like of the, all the guys that come in, Craig, another, yeah. it's like phenom. They're mm. just like these insanely mm. gifted dudes. Like we were talking about kind of before, you know, like you see a competition version of Craig mm. and you see a competition version of, um, Levi but man there's like this video of Craig I saved it on my phone I just watched it over and over and over of him being in like this gym in uh fuck was it in Thailand or something nah no nah, it was like it, it looked like it was in Europe they all uh, look like European dudes yeah and man like just big guys all high level guys all black belts and like he just fucked just these dudes them. up like fucked them up bad <laughs> And just so cruisy, so calm, and like none of the game that he played in, like he didn't heel hook anybody. Yeah, it was all like this crazy passing, mm. crazy top game, crazy yeah. pressure. I mean, Craig, Craig used to be a, a gay guy initially. He's got he's got very good positional jujitsu, mm. so uh, it doesn't surprise me hearing that. Like, yeah, I'm sure, was, I'm sure it, he could chuck in again, still smoke some some decent dudes. Well, I think he like I think yeah. he bashed like Gordon pretty bad, <laughs> like when they did. Oh, in that video, yeah, 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 he was doing the bullfighter chains. Yeah, 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 that was that was cool to see. But like, <laughs> just the yeah, the phenom thing. Like, there's something that's I don't know. Like, what do you think makes him different? And like, I don't think that you need to be a phenom to mm. do well. Like, you probably people wouldn't call Lockie a phenom and he made history at ADCC. So it's not like if you're not Levi or Craig or one of those guys that you can't be good. But there is something in those dudes that is just different. I mean, I, I, I mean I'm, not, I'm not like... I, I feel like I would have the, the credibility to say this if I was like a world champion and I, I was like fostering world champions. So I find it quite quite hard to quite hard to tell what qualities would be required but i imagine firstly it's going to be different for every individual mm. like i'm sure the qualities that craig has are very different to say the qualities that levi or, or Lockie have um but i imagine you know you want to i mean you know typical you know crazy obsessed and driven yeah um for jiu-jitsu i think you need to be really analytical and um you gotta i guess be be ready to accept you know a lot of setbacks and and losses initially um so there is there is that aspect the mental strength and toughness aspect which is something that i know levi is really big on um and then i guess work ethic yeah i mean all these guys have that especially levi i always remember seeing levi especially at garage um and i'm sure he worked even harder at unity but 
I remember I would see Levi at Garage, like uh, he would be there in the morning doing weightlifting session, then he would drill, then he would roll, yeah. do a solo drilling session. And I remember even after the, the night class, I remember he would just be by himself. It would be like almost 10 p.m. and he would just be solo drilling by himself and putting and doing like these crazy conditioning circuits and stuff. Um, so yeah, crazy drilling. So um, you think that that is there like an element of born versus made that comes into it for you? Like, do you think that there are some guys that are just born with like a like some kind of tangible ability that other people just weren't given? I think there is that, but I also think that there are people that can be made into that as mm. well. Um, yeah. So that it's it's definitely both. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a very it's, a it's very an interesting, interesting one, it's huh? Very interesting. Because I mean, yeah. like even I guess you could say Gordon Finogi yeah, is like that phenom kind mm. of guy. You know, like you see the things that he does to the best dudes in the world, and you're yeah. just like, well, fuck, like, yeah, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I think the the cool thing with Gordon was he's he had that that technical game coming up as a lighter guy and yeah. then he just you know he put on the size and then he jumped in the bigger guy's division and then he just you know completely smokes everyone yeah bought like that technical yeah. side to a division that's more like athletic mm. yeah hmm. yeah that's interesting eh? yeah it's cool to because i mean i guess there's yeah like you can see it in every gym like there's just some guys it's just like oh they just get it yeah and it just doesn't matter how long mm. they've been training like they're just going to be super hard to deal with yeah yeah, totally. I, I'm sure there's there's definitely like an element of like, you know, it's not just about being obviously fit in terms of physical attributes. It's not just about being physically strong. It's also about being, uh, you know, having, you know, mobile joints mm. uh, and being coordinated as well. And that's something I, I've noticed with a lot of top guys um, like Levi and Craig. They're both very flexible, yeah. very coordinated. They're strong as well. So I mean that those are you know in in like answering your your previous question I think that's also a, a big contributing factor as well. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think I even remember Levi telling me he wasn't even able to touch his toes like when he started that's training. That's one of the things I was going to ask yeah. you was like, like what, he, he worked you... he he worked for that that flexibility and he, he's super flexible as well. Mm. Craig as well. I remember Craig. Uh, especially since he since he's bulked up a bit i remember last year um <laughs> the the guys were like talking about like that you know foot to chest position the external rotation of the hips yeah, yeah. and then i remember just looking over at craig and he's just pulled his foot behind his head <laughs> and then someone's like craig are you still stretching and he's like nope <laughs> <laughs> that's insane eh? that was yeah. one of the things i was gonna ask you i i had a um it was before i broke my hip yeah. it was uh my goal I was like man I want to be a blue belt with black belt flexibility yeah because <laughs> black belt flexibility be, well, every, <laughs> like every black belt not all black belts are insanely flexible but they have that baseline but man yeah there is a black belt level mm. of flexibility yeah. every, even like Fabio man he's like a hundred and something kilos mm. and like he the one thing too that blew my mind as well with the flexibility thing was seeing Bushesha at ADCC he's just like uh, when he was fighting Gordon and he just like splayed his hips out like yeah. he was on his knees and then it just like to so that Gordon couldn't get underneath him <laughs> and I was just like that is a fucking big dude yeah. like that's a huge guy that's just like decided to just completely spread his legs and like go flat 
I was just like, man, this is some next level shit. I find that so cool seeing like the bigger guys displaying like high, you know, insane levels of mobility. That's I, I always find that really impressive. Well, yeah, and I, I thought that um, that every, there there is that baseline black belt mm. flexibility. They all seem to have you know that external rotation, and there's like there's a lot there that goes on, and then that because um, essentially it's like a knee cut to knee cut. Mm. You know what I mean? Like all of these techniques, an armbar is an armbar. Like if you go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, mm. ten means that that person taps. Like that's the completion of a successful armbar, but there's this level of um flexibility that these guys have that seems to just aid in the technique totally so much more and like especially going back again to guard retention is that you doesn't matter how deep you get there's this level of flexibility that will stop what you're doing and then it's like you've got to back out and Mm. go again yeah and i just thought to my that was like I said before I broke my hip I was like man this is my goal this year yeah. to work real hard on my flexibility because it's like imagine if you could even if you don't focus on flexibility your whole career you're going to achieve a certain level mm. by black belt just from the time you spend on the mats people stretching you in different positions yeah. it will just develop yeah so it to- I, it's totally been the case yeah and yeah. I was like man I wonder I'll just do that now yeah. if I do that now and then all of the techniques that get aided by that extra flexibility what gap does that then like even if i don't know any more techniques or my game doesn't change Mm. where would that take me on the scale of you know what i mean Mm. if i had exactly same technique all my knowledge everything but you add in like black belt level flexibility where does Mm. that put you does that make you a purple belt does that (laughs) make you know what i mean because there is it is tangible like it definitely does move you on a scale it is like i definitely think it's a necessity um there's definitely like there's definitely say let's say really really basically a real basic comparison uh a blue belt version of yourself versus purple belt version of yourself let's say you train consistently till purple belt and if you both did a knee cut most likely your purple belt you will be doing the knee cut better yeah um but obviously flexibility would obviously help that as well. The way I see flexibility is it's like, obviously injury, injury prevention is, it's, is very mm. important, but I kind of see flexibility for jujitsu is as like what allows you to experience jujitsu in its like a more full capacity, if that makes sense. No, how, yeah, explain yeah. that a little bit more. How so you- like, I mean, I guess the knee cut is, is the perfect example. Like imagine having real stiff hips and you can just, you, you can, you're flexible enough just to do like a really basic knee cut. Yeah. But imagine if you, you had like really good hip abduction so you could open your hips and then the leg that was knee cutting, you could internally f- rotate that hip fully and you could just get so much deeper yeah. into the knee cut and it doesn't, and it's like, you're less likely to get your knee tweaked by your opponent, like, you know, trying to, you know, twist your knee and stuff. I, I, I just feel like th- the feel of that knee cut would be so much more satisfying than that of like a, you know, if you're a lot stiffer. Yeah, you know? that, so in that, that does, sense, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I mean, I felt that with guard retention. I always knew that to be able to say, pull your foot to your chest is, is essential or to have your, you know, when you're getting stacked to, be able to have your toes over your head whilst trying to keep your hips low to the mat. Mm. Um, 
and I always knew that was an important thing to be able to achieve. And I could definitely retain my guard prior to achieving those levels of flexibility. But now that I have, it just, I just feel like the movements are so much more satisfying as well. Mm. Not just not just from the perspective of being more effective, but just from the actual feel of the movement itself. There's like a fluidity there. Yeah, yeah, there really is. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. What, so when did you really start to, to zone in on the flexibility? And what was your base level? Were yeah. you a flexible? Because that's like, that's something that you'll hear a lot of people that are like, oh, you're real flexible. Yeah. And it's like, the, yeah, I, I don't, and I don't even know that, I think that there's flexibility and then there's dexterity mm. too. And yeah. I think you'd probably be able to tell me as a physio, but yeah. I feel like there's people that are flexible that aren't very dexterous in yeah. joints. So and I, then there's people that are not necessarily super flexible, but their joints seem to be able to yeah. move. So I think the, the dexterity, that ability to like, from a guard play perspective, that ability to like pummel your feet and yeah. stuff, that's that's you know what people will refer to refer to as dexterity, and that's from. It's kind of like a strength thing, but it's more so an active range of mo- motion. Mm. So in in uh, not just physio, but I'm sure in like PT courses, they'll kind of differentiate between active range and passive range. Mm. Passive range is like if let's say you're lying on your back and I pushed your foot behind your head, that's me kind of passively you know pushing your leg into that range whereas if you were to actually by yourself without your hands actively pull your foot over your head that's active range of motion so i think active range of motion is what people refer to as dexterity mm. um what was the well, initial when, when did you start uh, like, yes. and what was your baseline yeah okay so this is this is actually something i've been meaning to touch on because Perfect. a lot of people um especially since i've released some of those videos on my youtube channel of some mobility stuff like mo- mobility uh exercises that people can do to get more flexible for their guard and obviously the guard retention as well i was getting a lot of messages from people saying oh, I'm, I'm too stiff to do this and that um so my initial flexibility was actually quite bad um from my taekwondo years i definitely developed decent hamstring length so I, my, my head to toe stretch was always good but it definitely wasn't anywhere near as good as what it is now um in terms of like the rotation at my hips so i actually had a, a labral tear in my right hip um and i it, it got quite bad about six years ago and my flexibility was horrendous like i, oh, really? I, I couldn't get close to pulling my my knees to my chest uh when i did the butterfly stretch my knees were like almost at the level of my shoulders i had so much pain and stiffness at my hips so i actually got more flexible as a result of actually trying to um rehab that rehab the labral tear in my hips so i'm quite yeah quite lucky that jujitsu wise that i had that injury because it kind of pushed me to Mm. develop the flexibility i mean i'm sure i would have developed it regardless because of you know trying to pursue pursue jiu-jitsu as a competitor um yeah so you know definitely wasn't as flexible as what i what i am now and so how much time did you put into it like what did your routine look like and when did you take it seriously and when did you start to see the results of taking it seriously so i would say late 2014 2015 that's when i really started delving into stretching and myofascial release and mm, okay. uh this is like a 
uh, a good segue into uh, into the program that I followed. Uh, I found this guy on YouTube, thankfully, and uh, his name's Shane Dowd, I believe, and his his uh, like YouTube channel, and he's also on Instagram as well. Is Got Rum? Got Range of Motion? Oh yeah. And uh, he came out with this thing called the FAI Fix. FAI is femoroacetabular impingement, which is just hip impingement, and that's you know one of the main things that causes a tear of the labrum in your hip if you yeah. have a hip, hip impingement. So this guy is actually was helping heaps of people. You're blowing my mind right yeah. now. I'm so keen on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, hip injury, I mean, it's the, this is definitely the guy to go to, in my opinion. Um, but he's got loads of testimonials since, since I found him on YouTube, which was 2014. And I'm sure now he's like, I mean, from following him on Instagram, he seems to still be doing quite well. Um, but he kind of came up with this system because he himself had a hip impingement, and I'm pretty mm. sure he had some. So when you're as well. when you're saying impingement, mm. so um, for example, I've worked my butterfly stretch a lot, mm. but on my right hip, it's like on the outside mm. of my hip. There's like that would be what I would say. Like I have like an impingement yeah, there. Yeah, you can so it's feel like, that like bony block. Yeah, sort of thing. And so like I can't actually stretch like my muscles on my. Uh, groin and the ductor like they're stretched out like i mm. can't go any deeper into that stretch now mm. because of the impingement so it's like i've got the muscle long enough to be there it's not stretching anymore because it's hit like this block and i i think why so like one of the big um issues that i had with my hip was like a, a, a ductor tear and um and i think it's because when i hit the ground on the bike that it sort of hit that impingement mm. and then it it forced it past that, that point. and then because I've only been able to stretch to you know that level once it went past it actually just ripped all the muscles like all the way from my pelvic um, my my pubic bone oh that sounds so painful yeah all the way across like it just ripped my hip apart yeah so yeah like so is that when you say impingement is that what it is like that bony like it's just not yeah. going any further yeah pretty much like um like your your hip joint is a ball and socket joint and so your from your from your pelvis bone you you have the acetabulum which is where your your femur bone the head of it sits inside the acetabulum so you can get different types of impingement either the acetabulum is like kind of like it kind of like consumes the head of femur a bit too much so it covers Goes it too deep. much yeah or you could have like a funky shaped head of femur and that can cause the impingement as well so then in regards to labral tear obviously whenever the 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 um hip moves there's going to be particular parts that are like you know kind of rubbing against the labrum and potentially causing a tear yeah but what this guy said um and obviously there's there's always cases where it's genuinely a structural problem but what this guy said was most of these uh impingements and labral tears are results of poor muscle tissue quality basically just really tight muscles Mm. So he came up with a system, uh, TSR, and it stands for Tissues, Stretching, and Re-Education. Pretty sure it's Re-Education. Um, so he says, you always want to start off with myofascial release first before you stretch. And he gave this really good analogy. If you had this rope with a knot in it, yeah. if you stretch the rope, you're tightening the rope. Yeah. So you got to undo the knot before you can stretch out the rope, and you're going to lengthen the rope even more. Exact same thing with the muscles. And 
initially I was like, oh, this is like, you know, just sounds like some funky, you know, alternative method. Yeah. And then it, it genuinely started to work for me. And I remember just solely from the myofascial release, I was I was like almost pain free. And so what myofascial release are you doing? So I would I would mainly just focus on the muscles around my hip. Yeah. So I'd look at um first thing would, would be the glutes. So I'd do like a like a glute release whilst with like a ball? Yeah. Like I'll a use lacrosse a ball. ball. Yeah, yeah. I've got the ball with me actually. Always always have it with yeah. me. Um so I do a glute release uh whilst like sitting in a externally rotated stretch. So I was also stretching the glute. Yeah. And then I would do TFL. And depending on like a a while like back then I would also release the muscles at the front of the hip as well, like my hip yep. flexors and stuff. Yep. And, and are you um, just laying on the ball for that? Like yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would also do a hamstring release uh, for my lower back as well as an adductor release. I found that releasing the adductor with like a kettlebell was really beneficial for me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, particularly for like obviously, you know, opening the hips but also internal rotation. Have you ever documented yeah. much of this stuff? Um, not really. We I mean, film it. I mean, I... I I have clips of me, like I used to um, document occasionally my stretching, like I would yeah. look at how, how flexible I, like if I'm actually improving with my range of motion. Um, so I've got some clips, I think from 2015, hopefully I've got some clips from before. Yeah, I should probably, that'd be cool. I, I just got my hands on my old external hard drive from like almost 10 years ago. So, oh wow. So hopefully I can, I can uncover so, some cool stuff, but um, I've actually been meaning to do like a, a little video kind of showing before and after yeah with my with uh my flexibility and mobility training yeah just to kind of show everyone that you're actually able to you know do a lot I of this guard retention stuff that's the thing that i think puts people off is that they think that it's a a thing that is um that you're just born with yeah and yeah. like i i get that a lot with um like I'm nowhere near the level, like mm-hmm. your level of flexibility. And after the crash, it's gone down a little bit. But I'd get so many people like, "Oh, you're just so flexible." Like it's like, man, it takes so much work. It does. It does. I mean, some people can. Some they, people are naturally. They, flexible. they they get there a lot earlier. I've I, like I've known a few people that can just their their mobility improved really quickly, a lot faster than mine. But um, it's it's definitely doable. I mean, a, a lot of people think that I've just always been this really bendy yeah. guy. But uh, it's definitely not been the case. Yeah. Like there was uh, a lot of pain and discomfort involved initially. Yeah. Before I started to actually work on my flexibility. That's one thing I wanted to ask as well is, so what's the level of pain that you want to go to? Obviously, that's such a subjective term. So it's so hard to like correctly articulate mm-hmm. how much pain you should want to be in. But how much are you... Like, is it a suffer fest? Like if you really want to push through? I think... This is a tricky one as well because I experienced a lot of pain in my process of getting more flexible, but that was, I think, a huge part of that was because I had like a, a pathology, like I had an injury at my yeah. Um like something wasn't right there. So I remember I would, I would have days where like I would step on the mats to to drill, and if my muscles were tight, I'd I'd like get that catching pain and I would kind of have to stop, and then stretch and loosen up a bit. And before I knew it, I would have lost like 20 minutes of my training session. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I even remember like, uh, 
training partners would pay me out for like how long I would have to spend like warming you know up. warming up and doing my fascial release it was ridiculous it was like it was as if I was like 40 years old <laughs> that's awesome know? and I was I was like this when I was like tw- you know early 20s which is bizarre it's actually crazy how I'm in so much better physical condition now yeah. than when I was like 19 yeah I find that crazy um yeah so, so with the um the so you do the myofascial release mm. first um and then you'll stretch mm. uh and do like that stretching routine so to relate it back to my own stuff so i've spent a lot of time on the ball mm. and especially around my hips i i honestly have stopped doing it a little bit though because like i was in so much pain mm. doing it after my crash that i was just like man i think i'm fucking some shit up like yeah it was it was but now I think especially I had so much pain going back to training mm. and now like like daily pain like waking up in pain waking up at like three o'clock in the morning mm. from pain but yeah. muscular pain not like not like structural sort yeah, of yeah yeah and it was months and months post the injury and I was like man this is just crazy to mm. be still hurting like this yeah but I got to the point where I was like I'm, I'm training I have just to, gonna do I, it I anyway. have to do it yeah and then the pain's gone away so then i'm like well maybe i do need to get back on the ball yeah. but i noticed that when i would do the the release first yeah. and i'll just lay on the lacrosse ball like literally with the ball like you've got the dip in your hips where it sort of the socket goes in i just put the ball in around it felt like it was going around the top of the femur head and mm. underneath the so hip. like at the front of your hip and the side too the side, like yep. the front and the side oh, okay the front was always weird it didn't feel like I don't even know what that muscle would be. It felt like I was just crushing nerves and shit. Mm. Like it didn't. I don't know. It never felt productive. The side was where I'd always do it. Yeah. So the side is where your TFL muscle is. So okay. you're, you're gonna get that, like that feedback from your from your muscles saying, oh yep, it's working. Yeah. Like I, once you feel that, it's kind of like a a nervy pain. It doesn't yeah. feel like a bad pain. It's it's like a it's a good pain. It's like oh if I if I like Stay keep the pressure, it's eventually like going to get better yeah um what i found was helpful with like the front of the hip so like i sometimes use a ball but i don't put too much weight through the ball i will use like um i'm not sure the name of this particular stretch but i'm sure you've seen it it's where people um would attach a theraband around their hip and they would attach it to a pole and And then pull the yeah, yeah yeah so i'm not sure how legitimate it is in terms of like actually being able to pull your head of femur backwards because it it like from what we've been taught at uni it's like very hard to actually move like anything any structure in your hip joint you know you need like a motor vehicle accident to like (laughs) you know dislocate it yeah um but what i found that was really helpful with that was it was actually the band like pressing on the front of my hip was actually releasing like all the muscles in that anterior region of the hip yeah and i noticed i would get like a lot of release from that yeah and then i used to mess around with um i forgot the name of the guy uh he did that that book becoming a supple leopard oh kelly Surratt. Yeah yeah, yeah 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 did you read all of that i didn't read all of it but i i went through a phase of using like a bunch of his exercises like using the um the barbell 
to release the, oh, the, the, quads. the quads and yeah. stuff. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I've got that and I haven't finished it. I've yeah. started. One of the big things that I took out of that book was, um, and it, it concepts again, like what you sort of um, spoke of earlier, mm-hmm. just the concept that it's not, um, it's not necessarily the muscle that's tight it's an issue with the nervous system mm. and the reaction to the muscle being stretched yeah and that was something that and i mean i don't know whether that's controversial obviously i'm not a, a yeah. physio I, I i've i've come across this like this school of thought a lot where it's like the nervous system is just not letting yeah you know your yourself go into the middle splits because of of like a safety thing yeah almost what do you feel about that to be honest i, I i'm not a hundred percent sure i think it it makes sense yeah um yeah i I really don't know yeah it it definitely made sense to me and i was like it i think it just helped me stretching yeah because i'm like all right just uh, because obviously stretching gets better when you like relax and breathe Mm. and so to me that was a part of that yeah i'm like i've got that knowledge in my head that okay it's the nervous system that is causing the contraction of the muscles Mm. to protect the you know then I'm like, oh, this makes sense that if I relax and and yeah. the, it's kind of like the yoga method, mm. like trying to relax your body to get deeper into the stretch. Yeah, true. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Um, the the myofascial release thing as well before stretching was just I try to explain to people, and I don't I don't know even how many people because it takes a long time. Like if you've got a real tight like in a, your quads, like the IT band, for example, like if you've um, if you've got something really tight, like a real tight spot in your um, in your IT, and you lay there, like it's probably going to take like five or six minutes for you to feel like that release. For it to release, yeah. And I and I try and explain it to people because I that's actually I thought. Well, I went to the physio and they're like, "Oh, you've probably got a meniscus tear mm. because I couldn't um, sit back on my heels." Yeah. And that was something that was really frustrating. That was kind of like my first flexibility goal with jujitsu because mm. I just never like a full. Oh, sorry, sorry, not 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 a heel to butt squat, just sitting on your on your heels. Yeah, so like a yeah. close if I was yeah, in someone's in close, close guard. guard. Yeah. So like that was a functional movement mm. that I just didn't associate with like. It just I just was like I don't know that you'd need that. Yeah. And then when I couldn't do it, I was just like. Is this weird that I couldn't do that? Like I, I had the that exact same issue when I first started training as well. Really? Yeah, yeah. I remember one of my coaches would would tease me for it as well. Oh, that you couldn't sit back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so like, that's that's a, I'm fixing this right now. <laughs> that's a good baseline. Then, yeah. of, of like your level of flexibility. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was bad. It was so bad. how did you fix that? Out of curiosity, that particular one, I found it was quite easy. I would just do like um, you know, the couch stretch where you've got your foot up on the wall. Nah. It's like a hip flexor stretch. So, like, uh, this is where I guess it helps to have, like, just, like, a very baseline understanding of, of anatomy. Yeah. So, if you know, uh, like, if you want to sit on your heels, you know that you got to look at the movements that your body's going into. So, your feet are fully plantar flexed. Your knees are fully flexed. Um, so, you basically, your quads are being stretched and the muscles around your ankle are being stretched. Yeah. So, I know that if I can improve my plantar flexion, at my ankles and stretch out the muscles there then it's going to be easy on my ankles to sit down and i know if my quads are uh stretched out and lengthened it's not going to be as strenuous on my knees if i if i like sit into that position yeah so basically just focused on stretching the quads and uh the 
an- the ankle plantar flexors. Yeah. And then it was like quite quite easy to. It was, it was it was not not something that took me long to develop. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So my way of doing that mm-hmm. was all around the foam roller yeah. on my quad. Okay. And I found so. I thought from going to the physio, I broke my kneecap about probably like four years ago. Is this from motocross? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is on a mountain bike, actually. Oh yeah, dude, I broke everything. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I had that. I broke my kneecap, and then ever since then, and when you when you break in bones and you go into hospital, a lot of times it's just they treat the acute thing like this mm. is the trauma there's yeah. a you would do an x-ray there's a broken kneecap that's the obvious mm. form of pain so then i was in like this knee brace for ages and that was actually super painful i got a lot of real bad nerve pain from that mm. and i lost a feeling in the top of my kneecap like it was a weird one but then so after that when i got back to when i started jujitsu i was just like oh shit i can't do this and it was bad man the gap was like that and it, it was in my kneecap it felt like the ligament was just literally going to snap mm-hmm. if I couldn't push past it and um, and then anyway I was starting on the physio and then they're like oh you, you've got I'd say you'd have a meniscus tear like for that range of motion to be stopped the way it is mm-hmm. and the pain that you're getting that would be your meniscus yeah and then because of this crash all I could do was stretch and foam roll and that that was my I was like man that's going to be my way back like I just have to get this mobility and like flexibility back and um and I've never really foam rolled my quads and um my dad is actually a mechanic for a professional uh motocross and supercross racer right and um he was living at our house and so he trains like crazy and I was watching him foam roll his IT band with like no pain at all and I was just like it's like this guy's a psycho well I was like I didn't think it was possible <laughs> yeah. like because of how bad mine hurt that's actually a very interesting point yeah I was yeah. like I was like oh no you can't actually do that like it's too that that thing can't be rolled like that it's like that's like the ultimate killer mm. and then it, I, I quizzed him I was like how much pain are you in there he's like nah none man and I was like, are you going hard into it? He's like, yeah, yeah, it feels good. <laughs> That's and so it cool. And it fucking blew my mind, dude. Eh? And then so after that, I was like, I'm going to try and do that because yeah. I could I could with this injury. Yeah. And um, yeah, so like, then oh, I, it's possible. Yeah. So yeah. I got a really soft foam. Like it was tight, dude. Mm. Like I pretty much started on a pool noodle. And, um, and then like I slowly worked my way up to higher density foam rollers. And, um, and then now I can do it. That's so and cool. And now the problem is more with my ankles, but mm. that's because I'm shit and get footlocked a bunch. Um, but but yeah, that was a crazy lesson. And yeah. and in my head, what makes sense is the muscle was so tight there, and like shins and calves are so tight there. Those muscles are attached to ligaments, mm. and so the ligaments are already stretched. And then so when you're trying to flex that knee joint and it's already just a resting stage is tense mm. then you, you just don't have access like that it's only a finite amount of tension that you can place on those ligaments mm. in the knee and then yeah so i just that was my way of thinking and it completely fixed that issue and now there's a few guys at the gym that have the same and they are like to oh, help my them knees out. yeah and i was like dude just trust me please just do yeah. it but like that's so cool. give yourself 20 minutes for one leg mm. really 
go into it like mm. fucking do what you gotta do get stoned put on a movie <laughs> like just fucking do anything that lets you sit on this foam roller yeah. for that long but <laughs> that's, that's gonna work well that's why I wanted to ask how much time that you would put into this daily yeah. and like what was your program like so that that that's a, a good question so if you compare it to back then till now it's like a, hu- a huge difference like uh, again going back to what you said about how your friend could foam roll and feel no pain. That's actually something Shane Dowd talks about with uh, tissue quality. And you can actually get to a point where your tissue quality is so good from that consistent self-massage that you'll be at a point where, and I I experience this point now, uh, where I can just turn up to a training session and I can pull my foot to my chest without warming up. And I can just, I could just jump in straight into rolling. So obviously something that if I continue to do all the time, it wouldn't be good for me. Like I still make sure I warm up, but I also know that I have the ability to just kind of jump You've got in. access to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's because I've like put that work into like all the, you know, the TSR stuff. Yeah. Um, in terms of when I first started, I would take like, I would have to warm up to warm up if that makes sense it was it was that bad <laughs> so like i remember when uh, uh one of the gyms that we were at he would get us to do like you know typical warming up or jogging around i would have to myofascial release and stretch and stuff for like almost 40 minutes prior to actually doing the warm-up no way um and i remember like the times that i wouldn't do that i would like you know, I'd tweak my meniscus or like I'd tweak my back or neck or something. And it was like, oh, fuck, I should have warmed up <laughs> before the warm up. <laughs> yeah. So um, I would literally dedicate sessions like every day. I would dedicate like around an hour or so just to mobility. And I would spend, I would spend a solid, when it was really bad, I would spend sometimes like 30 minutes or more just doing myofascial release, then doing like, uh, like really basic light uh static and dynamic stretches and then the more like the more i kind of looked into the different types of stretching and the different methods the the more i kind of branched out into like more intense stuff like like the loaded progressive stretches this is actually something that uh shane gets a lot of people doing where and he actually got it from the Ido Portel method. He's got some really good stuff yeah, on mobility. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the loaded kettlebell butterfly stretch. So you sit back on the wall and you're in a butterfly stretch and you just get two kettlebells on each knee. And the I think the guideline, like each person that, that kind of does this thing has like a different different approach to it. But it would start off with just like 10 reps, just, you know, adducting and abducting your knees with the kettlebells on your knees yeah um and so you're like holding them for balance yeah and yeah just you're like just stabilizing them just with like your fly them in yeah and, and so your your adductors have to be able to support the weight and also be able to move your hips up and down with the weight on and after 10 reps then you you hold it in a fully open stretch for like 30 seconds or so but i would change it up i would sometimes hold it for like a minute or two minutes and it would be quite painful but i would i would really notice that improvement in the stretch um yeah so i did that i did that for a while and i would kind of chunk i would kind of block like what moves i would do for like a certain period of month uh, like you know 
two months yeah, or so. Yeah, so you'd work on it in yeah. sections. Yeah, so I'd be like, oh, you know, next two months, I'm just going to work on hip abduction and external rotation. Yeah. Then this next month, I'm just going to work on my spinal flexibility and my hamstring flexibility. Yeah. Like, I, w- I wouldn't try to do everything at once. It's, yeah. it's very similar to, like, strength training. You're not going to do squat, deadlift, bench press, clean and jerk, like, all the exercises in one day. You, yeah. You, you break them up into into like you know blocks blocks yeah, yeah. or a, or a, like a training split yeah as the bros would say <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not in that club <laughs> but yeah. yeah so and so you'd pick like uh hamstrings and spine mm. for a month or two months yeah and then you'd go from there because that's one thing i've found that i yeah i feel like i chase shit around mm. like i'll get something better and then something new kind of comes up and I'm like it's like there does seem to be a flavor mm. of the month and I feel like my quads recently have been and I, mm. I didn't know whether my like my right quad in particular which was like my injured side mm. was getting way tighter yeah. so I'm like I'm like oh it must be because of the injury so you sort of spend more time working there and then it's like oh I haven't been doing the left one as much yeah. so it does feel like this constant yeah, there's always something, kind of deal yeah you're always jumping around trying to like work on something especially like you said you feel like you're neglecting one area so it's like oh shit now I need to yeah. like go back to developing this particular area yeah yeah, it's 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 like that. I mean, it's even like that with jujitsu. Yeah, think, yeah, yeah. Know, that's that's like true I'm too. playing too much guard. I don't even know how to pass anymore. Yeah, and it works the opposite as well. I always notice my guard feels a bit off if I spend too much time playing on top. Yeah, but it's obviously necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's really cool to to know that you weren't a flexible dude nah. at the start, and I think that's very important for yeah. people to understand is that these people that have this crazy flexibility like it almost has to become a bit of an obsession mm. and the, the other thing and i think this is what another thing we were sort of talking about before is that like there, there's a reason to do this kind of shit because it all translates into life mm. like yes it helps with jiu-jitsu yes it helps with motocross or whatever you're thing is that you know you're super into Mm. but it just translates man like Mm. to have a level of flexibility like man your aging of like you said you feel better now than at Mm. 19 and i feel the same now too like i'm 33 in next july and it's just like i definitely i'm in the best shape that i've ever been in like even coming off injuries and Mm. stuff like that and it excites me at the possibility of getting older yeah being better constantly and i think that there's this attitude that people have that once you're in your mid-30s or you know once you're 40 like downhill we go it doesn't have to be like that no yeah it definitely doesn't but it's got to start now and it's got to be a a slow progression i mean i'm sure in your mind this is something that you won't stop doing no i don't plan to at least (laughs) yeah Yeah. and i mean flexibility jiu-jitsu like all of it you know i mean for for me uh jiu-jitsu and and you know staying flexible and stuff that's that's something that also is important for my quality of life as well i mean since since getting more flexible you know i don't have that hip pain and it means like i can i can do i'm not as worried about doing certain things like i can i can go to a dinner and not freak out about struggling to stand back up after an hour of sitting down yeah because my hips is so sore you know that was that was a reality for me once upon a time 
<laughs> he knows it's dinner time. Um, well, man, I've really enjoyed uh, enjoyed the chat. Um, I've got to go to this Lockie thing now. I've got to go yeah. get strangled by Luke and Lockie. Um, but, yeah, really appreciate you making it happen. It was really cool to um, to yeah, get to hear about your jiu-jitsu and the flexibility stuff definitely was really, really cool to hear about. And I hope that people... Um, can draw inspiration from that it's made me want to I hope uh, so too <laughs> made me want to stretch uh, if you're around for a bit we should film something of course for the um, like flexibility sort of mobility stuff I could film it and give you the footage of course of course happy be, to uh, do that yeah it'd be cool anyone yeah. you want to thank sponsors and oh yeah sponsors um, Browse for sure um, what else what else definitely a shout out to uh, Shane Dowd from Got Rum he's you know helped me out heaps um yeah that's about it yeah thank you for having me on here I really oh, no, appreciate man. it like I said I've been a fan for a while now so it's cool to um, cool to get to chat it's cool to roll today as well nice. um, and so what's your goals coming up for 2021 um, hopefully COVID if the, depending yeah yeah COVID depending hopefully if the the borders are open again go, I want to get back into the competition scene um, the plan is to, to win a major uh, hopefully hopefully that can happen next year um Otherwise, if, if that doesn't happen, I'm just going to continue perfecting my craft and hopefully I'll be able to get out some more content for everyone, for the fans and for the people that are really keen on learning and improving their jiu-jitsu as well. And so you've got your YouTube channel. Are you going to be putting in like a little bit more uh, effort with that now going forward? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that that's the plan. Uh, but uh, I was... I recently uploaded a, a another video last night, but I I've been kind of inconsistent with that. But I'm I'm planning on on putting out more content over the next few months. And what's the name of the channel? Oh, it's just it's just my name, Ariel Tabak. Yeah, you'll you'll be able to find it on on YouTube if you just if you search that. Um, I think there's a link off my Instagram as well. Yeah, I actually yeah. looked at that today. Yeah. so there is a link on there for sure. Yeah, yeah, and it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thankfully. sweet. Thanks so much, man. Um, and yeah, hopefully uh, you're stuck in uh, this neck of the woods for a bit. I'd love to. Um, I'd love to get in some more sessions yeah. and uh, and try and learn from the the master himself. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it, mate. Thank you, Ben. Done. Thanks, mate.